Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. If you live here in town, you will be voting on an issue that the rest of you will not be voting on. The local city council has tried to sneak in a, uh, an issue there for people to vote on which would empower them to give them the authority that they could uh, change everything in regard to uh, pronouns re related to uh, sexual gender. If I find out that you voted yes on that, I intend to cut your tires <laughs> or do something <laughs> equally as disgusting. That kind of foolishness needs to stop and they need to know that people just are not going to allow that to happen locally. I hope you have the intestinal fortitude to, to vote. If you, if you, if you haven't voted, I've, I've got a little procedure. I've got this coming Tuesday in Columbus that I have to go to. So Alice Kay and I voted last Monday. And so I read that thing over and I read that thing over and uh, so I went down to the hardware store and bought me one of those razor blade knives so that anybody that didn't vote the way I wanted to, I could cut their tires. So, you know, that last part is a lie, but I thought it sounded impressive. Yeah. Number two, the reason we want you to buy your, the, the Thanksgiving tickets, and if you don't have the money with you, just sign your name and take the number of tickets. And then, uh, since you know I have a, a razor blade knife you will pay it's not not that big a deal but we the reason we need to know as soon as possible is it allows Dave literal to know how much food to prepare and uh, that that's the real issue for us here that's not that big a deal this past week Alice Kay and I and several other folks from the church here were in Columbus for the International uh, Convention on Missions I was curious to see just how many warm bodies would show up for that. And, and Thursday afternoon, I went over, I left the booth where we represented Patrick and Eddie, and I went over to check the afternoon crowd. They'd set up 1,600 chairs, and they were all full, and people were standing around the outside. So probably a little better attending than you may think. And the speeches that were given from the various missions around the world were, were really heartwarming. It seems to me that the people in developing nations are more eager to hear the gospel than we are. It just comes across that way. On a more serious nature here for us is that we have several people who really, I hope you take the time and, and uh, write their names down and on a daily basis, take a few minutes to pray for the folks. Ralph still has pneumonia in the lower lobe of his right lung. I thought it was the left one, but it's not, it's the right one. And he had intended to be in church this weekend and I, I don't want him here because if one of us had a bad cold or something and gave that to him, he doesn't need that in his recovery process. So I hope he stays put there. Matthew called me last night and said, guess what? I just tested positive for COVID. And so, uh, but, but he's okay. He, you just, uh, 
he's, he'll be fine. And he said to remind me about some sick people. Ron Powell had surgery here recently, and he's been in serious pain for some time, so he had some surgery that, that the best I understand it, that fused some of these bones and stuff in the back of his neck together so that I guess from now on, if I understood what Brenda told me last night, he cannot turn his head like this anymore. If you, because if you, and a lot of you know him pretty well, if he has to talk with you, he has to turn his body toward you. He just, the neck doesn't work anymore. It's, those bones have been fused. So if it, if it looks a little strange, you'll know what's going on when you have conversations with him. Probably uh, you need to be uh, continuing to, to, to pray for uh, Lisa Sparks. She will be going to Houston for, she goes about every three months, and this time she's having a scan on, I think she told me Wednesday, and she'd see the doctor Thursday. But it, it, all of that kind of stuff is when you've had cancer and you're checking on other things, that's always frightening. And she needs to know that there are people here supporting her on her knees for her sake. But probably right now, the individual that I know about that's in the worst trouble was probably Janet Tatman. She'd been, they told her that, she would, that her cancer was in remission, that she was free and clear, and then other problems had popped up. She's been in and out of intensive care here locally, and uh, and and I think it's pretty serious. I, I really do. But those were on my mind. And one, is there anybody else that that's serious that we need to know about? Just to pop up and tell me because those things are every bit as important as what I'm getting. Re well, almost as important as what I'm getting ready to tell you about the scripture. Anybody else? Okay, let's let's look then at the at the first chapter of the book of First Peter, the book of Peter, Peter's writings. First Peter was written to a church under persecution, and the whole thing was here's how you deal with suffering. To suffer as a believer, he said, but just make sure that you're suffering for doing good, and not suffering for. Uh, some arniness that you that you've been into. Who wrote this book has something to do with understanding the context, uh, or rather, I'm sorry, who it was written to initially. There's two different ideas. One idea is that it, that because uh, historically they said that uh, the apostle Paul wrote essentially to the Gentiles. He was called the apostle to the Gentiles. Peter wrote primarily to the Jews, but I have a problem with that. And then John wrote to everybody. I have a little problem with that Peter, because you remember, he really didn't want to go to Gentiles. You know why? Because Jews were taught that Gentiles were worse than dogs. And now the Lord is saying, but the gospel is for everybody, Jew and Gentile. Peter said, you know, I don't, I don't want to do that. So what happened, if you recall, is God actually came to him and lowered a sheet and a vision from heaven that had all kinds of animals on there. And, uh, and, and, and he was told to, you know, arise and kill them and eat them. And he responded, I've never eaten anything unclean in my life. I'm not going to start now. That was repeated a time or two. And then as soon as that vision was over, he said, and by the way, 
Peter, I need for you to go to the house of Cornelius because he needs to talk to you about salvation. Cornelius was a Gentile Roman soldier. And so uh, Peter did address himself to Gentiles. Now whether I'm inclined, I, I change back and forth sometimes as I read through the book because I've read it probably here recently 20 times. And I, I, I think probably in this case, he did write to Gentiles. The reason being, here in one of the verses, he actually talks about them having been nobody outside of the will of God, outside of the, the, of the chosen people. And now he says, because you have been converted, you're part of the elect. You're part of God's chosen people. And that's what, if you recall, that's how she started reading here in the first chapter. Then, but he does something that's really important for us to kind of wall around in for a while. If someone were to ask you this question, can, can, you, can you describe for me who God is? What would you say? In the Old Testament, before Jesus came, the Apostle Paul, or, or rather, the, 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 I'm, I got, I'm getting ahead of myself in between my ears here. I got too much sleep. It was Solomon who made an attempt to explain it when he gave the dedicatory prayer for the temple. He described God something like this in a prayer. You know, he said, God, I know that you're too big just to live in this building I just built. Because you measured the universe, you spoke it into existence, and you measured the universe by the span of your hand. Now, that, that wasn't meant to be taken literally. That was his way of trying to say God is so big and great that it's beyond our comprehensive powers. Isaiah, as I said, added his two cents worth to that, you know, uh, later on. But understanding who God is is really tough. Because the Bible makes it clear that the, the language that we speak doesn't have the capacity to accurately explain who God is. So what he does is he takes the best can from our own experiences and says he's like this and more. And we'll see that, I hope, a little clearer before I get through here this morning. We start off with, uh, with a passage of Scripture that uh, almost all of you are familiar with in the fourth chapter of the book of the, of the Gospel of John. The circumstances were that Jesus was sitting at a well with a Samaritan woman who has had a less than good reputation. And he was sitting there talking with her, and they started talking about worshiping God. The Samaritans had a mountain there that has set apart as a sacred mountain. By the way, there are churches in Korea who still do that. They have a sacred mountain that they set apart. And so, and, and she mentioned, she said, the Jews worship at a sacred mountain in Jerusalem where the temple is located. We worship here 
And Jesus' response to that in the 24th verse was, was this. Well, I started to 23rd. Yet a time, this is Jesus talking. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Underline spirit because we have a tendency to emphasize truth and kind of ignore spirit because we're so dumb in understanding the spirit world. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. He said those who, who seek both in spirit and in truth. Why? Because verse 24 then says, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, the Pentecostal brethren emphasize to an extreme in many cases worshiping in spirit. The historic Protestant churches emphasized worshiping in truth. Alice Kay told me she was in a meeting with some of the women who are, have a Pentecostal background, and when the thing, worship service started, there was the chattering of tongues. And she said, I didn't know whether to get up and run or not. It was scary because she'd never experienced that before. They were incorrect because they didn't have an interpreter in the New Testament says for those who do that tongues thing. They're, they're out of order unless there's someone there who translates it into a language that we can easily understood because everything that takes place in the public worship should be easily understood and heard by all. Some of the Protestant churches even take the position that the tongues thing is actually pagan. And so there's, it, it all becomes a divisive issue. But that doesn't, doesn't change the fact that most of us, because of those extremes are unaware of just exactly what Jesus meant when he said, worshiping in spirit. Now, the sad thing about that is, is that if you are not certain that your body as a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're not certain that your body is the dwelling place of the spirit of the living God, then we need to talk because unless you're born again of the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God, Jesus said when he talked to Nicodemus in the third chapter of John. So he made it clear that these two things were of equal value and he used the term that we translate must it's unacceptable to eliminate either. Our Pentecostal brethren have gone off on some weird things every once in a while because they didn't give sufficient emphasis to the worshiping in truth. And our Protestant churches have been so cold that you could freeze to death in them spiritually because they ignored. And see, 
worshiping in spirit it too often is translated emotion. It can produce emotion, but it is not emotion. The emotion thing has to be de- dealt with in, in the translation of the word, the spiritual heart. What is the spiritual heart? In, if you look at the scripture and go through all the New Testament, you'll find out that the scriptural heart that he's talking about is not the pump in the chest, but it's the core of being used to describe four very important things. Your intellect, your will, your conscience. Uh, the, the, you know, he's talking about the, the, what you really are made up of. And he, he talks about those things, but that's a different issue that needs to be talked about at another time. So what is this business of worshiping in spirit and in truth? Because he's, Jesus goes ahead and tells that woman, because... This is the stuff that God listens to. I mean, that's exactly what he said. Yet a time is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. So you can understand here that the emphasis that I'm putting on it is directly Brought, put in writing by Jesus himself. So the scripture that she read there in the first chapter specifically says that God is an unseen God that we approach in faith. But he has, he, he's, not on, he's not unseen, but he is known. And then he tells us how. Peter, who writes this book, had a lot to learn. Now, he's often not treated fairly. The Apostle Paul had the equivalent of a Ph.D. He was a, he was a brainchild. Peter is often seen as the other extreme, as a dumb old fisherman who was just big and dumb. He may have been big, big, but he wasn't dumb. Because nearly all, and there was a great old big synagogue there just in the fishing village of Capernaum where he lived. And in that synagogue, these, they had a school. It was called a, whatever, a synagogue school. And they had a rabbi, and the word rabbi means teacher. So they were teaching these children, and most of them were required were required to memorize at least the first five books of the Bible. So don't, don't get the idea that, that Peter was a retard. Jesus didn't select retards. But he did take a guy here who needed, along with all the rest of them, who were... He said, the prophets didn't understand what God had in mind when the church was to begin. He didn't. They didn't. And even the angels desired to look into it because it was so different. Peter was one of those who did believe that Christianity was to be an arm of Judaism. And therefore, he took the position 
that all converts to Christianity, the men should be circumcised. And he, and he stuck to that position at times when it was even embarrassing. See, the first major conference that the church had dealt with this problem. Is Christianity a whole new thing like Jesus said it was? Because you remember he said, you can't put new wine in old wine skins because when it starts to ferment, it'll just burst and go away. He said, we're doing a new thing here. It's not a, an arm of Judaism like Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, so on and so forth. No, it's a whole new thing that involves all of God's created humans. For whosoever will may come to the kingdom of God because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And Peter had a hard time buying that because he had been carefully schooled in the necessity under the law that all of the men of God had to go through that little exercise. So, if you read carefully the 14th chapter of the Gospel of John, God spelled out here through the Holy Spirit to Peter and the other apostles exactly how he was going to handle this. Now keep in mind we're talking about spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. Both which is absolutely essential. Here's what he said. Jesus talking to his disciples and Peter being the leader. All of this, this is starting at verse 25, chapter 14. The opening verses of chapter 14, you all know. In my father's house, or in my mansion, blah, 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 blah. He, in the 25th verse, he says, All this I have spoken while still with you. I've taught you these things. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, listen carefully, will teach you all things. The assumption there was not an assumption. It was a fact that you guys haven't got this thing figured out yet. Even though I've been with you for three years, you still haven't gotten this thing. And they didn't get it figured out until after the resurrection. This Holy Spirit will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I taught you. And so what Peter writes here in the first chapter of 1 Peter was that which the Holy Spirit had taught him to put in writing and to remind him of what Jesus had taught him, which blended perfectly with what the Spirit of God was teaching them. And, and Peter rejected that initially until after the resurrection. So we, we, just hold up here j just for a minute. Let me give you a hint of how you should describe God if anybody asks you, because there's a lot of that that goes on today because uh, we're, our culture is saying, you know, it's all the same, blah, 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 blah. All religions are alike and just according to where you live and so on and so forth. The message, the primary message of the New Testament church was just one thing. The primary message. Jesus died and was raised from the dead. Everybody died on Christ. I mean, 
tons of people died on crosses from the time of the Egyptians. That's where the thing first started, and the Romans took it up and made it a science. Jesus died on that Roman cross, and there were people there who saw him die, even though the Muslims say that that's not the way it happened. There was a substitute. The liberals say he just fainted death, that that sword underneath the rib cage to the heart took care of that. And besides that, then they buried him in a, in a borrowed tomb not very far from where he died. And then they put a Roman guard on it. And if you looked at that big old rock that rolls into place on those tombs, and three days later, he was walking around talking to people. Nothing like that had happened in the history of mankind. So we have this God that people are trying to figure out how to describe him. If he has the capacity to bring life out of death, then it must be true that he spoke the world into creation, that he gave. And, and this Holy Spirit thing that people are talking about is the same word as breath in Scripture. It's the same word, pneuma, where you get the word pneumatic tire means air or breath. And do you remember where that came from? It's when Adam was laying there as a pile of dirt and, and God breathed into his nostrils and he became a living being. This Holy Spirit thing that comes along that people are so dumb about, we need to learn about it. He's the primary teacher and he still teaches us. I'll touch on that later. So we need to get to know this guy called the spirit of holiness or the presence of God in spirit because the Bible says God is spirit. That's who he is. He revealed himself by putting a body on so we could understand him and know who he is. But essentially he's spirit. This God revealed to us in Scripture with the help of the Holy Spirit that he sent to help us understand exactly who he is and how we get to know him. That's called the plan of salvation. And here in this passage of Scripture in 1 Peter, he mentions this two times before he hardly gets started, this, this salvation thing that, that we're all concerned about. In verse 9, and in verse 5, he uses that same term, this salvation. What is it? Well, here's the deal, folks, that, that becomes really serious. Unless your physical body has received in that body this Holy Spirit thing, You have, you are not saved. Here's the problem. Being a good guy is good. I'm poor for that. But it won't save you. 
And there are lots of unsaved people who are really wonderful people, but that won't get you to heaven. It won't get you into the actual presence of the living God, and that's where heaven is. So we as believers in Jesus Christ, the scripture says it, and, and, I, and I think in verse 4, you need to underline this because it's really an important thing. Get it. And into an inheritance, you have an inheritance. You become joint heirs of God with Jesus Christ. When your body receives this Holy Spirit. Now, we have a lot of guys saying, just pray this little prayer. And God, eh, nah, there's more to it than that. And this makes a little people un uncomfortable at times, but it needs to be said. Obedience to God in, in, in a thing called baptism is really important. Why? Because it's a demonstration and in actuality of the process of receiving the Holy Spirit. Receiving the Holy Spirit is not getting about a half a dozen goosebumps from a story that a preacher tells and, and, and oh, I'm saved. You see, that old person that you were before you were saved needs to be dead and buried, and you need to view it that way. What I have been is no more in the eyes of God. He's dead, and how do you bury the old man? That's what baptism is. Now, what is the first thing that happens to you when you come up out of the water? Because in some cases, when I know you really well, I hold you down till the bubbles quit. All right? And so, what's the first thing that happens to you then when you come up out of the water? The Holy Spirit in Scripture is viewed as equivalent to and like the breath of God. And it's the breath. And that's why Acts 2.38 says, and be baptized and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is, it is, it, it, now, if God chooses to do some things differently, that's up to him. But I'm just telling you what the scripture is saying here. So while well, you come up out of the water, you breathe in. And he's saying this is the same thing that happened to Adam. You now are something totally new and different. In the eyes of God. In the other rest of the people, us judgmental, old, mean-spirited people, selfish people, you, you never let people off the hook. And we're really wrong about that. We have an inheritance. Now, I've got to move on because my first wife has been fussing at me for preaching too long. I said, I'll tell you, you've never stood up here and seen how badly they need it. But she doesn't buy into that for some reason or other. She thinks, you know... An inheritance. You have an inheritance. You ever, you ever been included in anybody's will? I have. My mother and daddy didn't have anything. I ended up paying for some of that when they died. My oldest brother was dead. And his wife didn't like me very well, so she didn't help any. I didn't like her either. But, you know, 
you learn to live with it anyway. But when I was 11 years old, I've told you before parts of this you already know. When I was 11 years old, Daddy let me have my own old rooster. He happened to be a Rhode Island Red, and most of our chickens were white rocks, and so I don't know how we got that old rooster, but anyway, anyway, we did. And I raised him. I took him to Maysville to Brock Brothers Grain Company. And I laid, and the old man there said, put your rooster on the scales. I laid him, had his feet tied, and I laid him down there. He said, is that your rooster? And I said, yes, sir. He said, okay. If that's your rooster, you get on the scales with him. I did. And he paid me for the weight of the rooster and my weight too. It's a pretty good deal if you can get it. And then he told my dad, he said, you know why I did that? No. He said, because he said, yes, sir. You better think about your manners because that was just the ball coming off the tee. He then wrote a big old long handwritten letter of several pages giving references and so on and so forth to my parents, telling that he had never been married, he had been financially successful, and he used his resources to encourage and to help young boys achieve their dreams. And he asked if they would look up those references and and would they be willing to let me go to Cincinnati with him and here, there, and everywhere? And they relented, and then when I came back, there was some discussions and so on and so forth. He bought me my first ball glove. It was a Rawlings, of course. I had Marty Marion's name on from the old St. Louis Cardinal team. He bought me my first cow and a half a dozen others. He bought me my first bicycle. It was a Monarch bicycle with saddlebags and knee action. That might not mean much to you, but the girls liked it. Because when you look like me, you need all the help you could get, you know. When I went to college, he bought me my first car, a 1953 Ford Victoria with the sexiest lights in the back you ever saw. Alice Kay loved that car. And she married me to get it. And when I was a junior, just at the end of the sophomore year, Mr. West, his name was Mr. Alva West. He actually grew up in Lewis County, Kentucky. He only had one date, he told me about it. I asked him why he never got married. He said, I, I had the date, and he said she was the prettiest girl in Vanceburg area. And she agreed to go to a dance and a social or some kind of a thing that they had and so she went with me and he said on the way back something scared the horse he bolted and we ended up sitting in the middle of our neighbor's pond 
in the buggy. He said, I gave up on the dating thing. It didn't work out too good. But I was called back to Maysville where Mr. West lived. And uh, I was called by a lawyer there to come to a place and along with a, a step-niece and some others, to a couple other people, and they read the will, and my college education was paid for as a result of what was left in that will, several thousand dollars. Do you have any idea? I grew up with two pair of bibbed overhauls. In the summer, we had no shoes. We went barefooted. We were never hungry because we had a great old big garden. Can you even imagine for a moment a little old skinny boy receiving that kind of generosity when you had done absolutely nothing to earn it? And how exciting it was to sit in that office in that lawyer's office and say that, and for Scott Rawlings, it's X number of thousands of dollars. Now, if you can get in your mind here, when the scripture talks about you and I, when we come to Jesus, we repent of our sins, we bury the old guy, he's dead and gone, and we receive the presence of God's Spirit into our bodies. Have you any idea what that inheritance really means? Because you should. It's referred to in Scripture. And it's a passage of Scripture that people only quote partially to their own. It's sad that they don't, and I've done the same thing, uh, that we don't quote at all. It's in second chapter of 1 Corinthians. Now listen to me. We're talking about an inheritance from our Father. Because you see, when we're converted, we're adopted into God's family. And he becomes our Father. He who spoke the world into existence, and as Solomon said, measures his, his creation by the span of his hand. He says this, however, it is written. So this is a quote from the Old Testament. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Now we have a tendency to read that and stop there and say, well, oh boy, I wonder what's waiting for us. But we didn't keep reading. But... Verse 10, that was verse 9. Verse 10 says, But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. Guess what? When you mature in your faith and you're in the presence of God, and, and I hope all of you, if you don't have, will get yourself a prayer closet. Public prayer should be about three sentences and quit because they're too often, uh, I guess you would say it's too often just a profundity. It's just something you can go through quickly and get over with so you can eat 
or whatever. But they should be kept short so they don't become a means of getting attention. But what you do in your prayer closet, that changes things. I really don't care what you do in your prayer closet. I've had Pentecostals say to me, I said, all right, to, to pray in tongues, I, I don't care if you stand on your head and spit nickels. I could care less what you do in your prayer closet when you are alone there in the presence of the living God and you guys are exchanging your innermost thoughts. Because there are times when you don't know what to pray or how to pray and you're just frustrated in the presence of God. And then guess what? That spirit that he's put in you, Paul says in Romans 8, speaks to the Father on your behalf. We've got a real inheritance waiting for us. And now here's what you'll learn. What you will learn in time is that God will speak to you through His Spirit to your spirit about what you need to know in order to live a life under whatever circumstances that will bless other people and honor Him. I got interesting. I get interesting responses. My son-in-law called me up and said, did you know that people were talking about your, your investments? I said, no, what? He said, well, you told them that you bought on Facebook and you made a lot of money. I did. And I bought Alibaba and I made a lot of money. I don't have it now because I gave it away. Because you see, what happened there, in my opinion, and that's all it really counts to me, is that God guided me because I was going to use the resources to see that Patrick and Eddie got their degree, went back home, and had a church that would produce what I wish we could produce here. Because let me tell you something. On the 28th of January, I'm to be there. Now, it's because Patrick says, we ain't going to have the dedication unless you and Mama are both there. So we'll be there, God willing. The first building will be totally paid for. And even the elders of the community have come and said to them, we're going to, if you will help us build a school for our high school kids here who have to walk six miles, three two and three back just to go to a school, a state school that's not very good, we'll do everything we can to see that your church is a magnificent success. Their problem will be keeping the church from growing so fast that they can't keep the people properly taught. Trust me, that'll happen. Because you see, in developing nations, they're actually eager to hear. Here, we're bored to tears. We've got a long way to go. But I, I, I get all kinds of responses. You know, back some time ago, I took a lot of heat because I, I talked about the Black Lives Matter thing. Because I, and I said this, but I was misunderstood by good people. And I took considerable amount of heat. 
but I was cold anyway, so it didn't hurt. That's supposed to be funny. But anyway, what I said was no Christian could argue with the statement, Black Lives Matter. They do. But what I said was that the leadership in the organization is corrupt. And you need to be aware of it so that you won't get sucked into something that's bad. What I was trying to do is to prepare not primarily our black brethren to be prepared, just be really careful. Because I already knew from resources that most people don't have access to that the leadership, all three of those girls, were confessed, enthusiastic Marxists. I knew that. I had it in writing from them. And so I was trying to prepare. And boy, did I get a reaction. Now what that says is this. The preacher, if he's God's man, must be free to preach with love for his people and in honor of our God to speak the truth in spite of what the response might be. And at the same time, must realize that God speaks through his word with his spirit. I've learned so much through the years that I didn't know as a young preacher. I wish I had, but I didn't know. This inheritance that we have that I rely on more than you will ever realize, on a daily basis, not just once in a while, what I, re what I do is I realize on, on God directing me, and I don't come into the pulpit like some of these birds do, saying, well, God will tell me what to do. Well, he will tell me what to do, but I know what he's going to say before I get here. And I keep very careful notes that you don't often see, but they're here. And I have them written in the scripture along the side of it. Heck, there was a book written about musings from the margins about it. See what I'm doing here. I'm within six minutes of getting called on the carpet by my first wife, so hang on. It is, it is in my opinion, studying the scriptures, my responsibility to help you make the transition from where we are now to heaven and make that as enjoyable an experience as you can imagine. The scripture actually says that's the way. He says, this is it. Because of your inheritance, in this you greatly rejoice. How many of you have ever taken the time to dream of what it would be like to go to heaven when you die? Now I tell you, when you get to be my age, you think about it every once in a while. And I've dreamed about it, 
on more than one. And now I'm convinced that the Spirit of God helps us when we're seeking to know Him intimately and all the time, that He helps us understand these things that are considered a mystery to the dead world, but He has made known, He promised to make known to us now. You know, in this life, when my father was, he was a soft-spoken, eighth-grade educated, hard-working old guy. And every time I got in a situation that I couldn't handle, and, and I was not a beer-drinking woman, well, maybe beer-drinking, uh, I chased a couple. But mostly, when you're this good-looking, they just chase you and you just enjoy it. I'm just seeing if you're awake, because the important thing is to follow. But anyway, every time I got into a problem, because I told you about having a wreck down outside of Vanceburg on the way to a church, hit a little icy spot, and instead of hitting three trees, I took out six panels of, of, of a fence and half a dozen mailboxes. I will go across the street to the house of a doctor. I didn't know he was a doctor. I just went over there. I could use his phone. He said, sure you can. So I called home. Mother and daddy were getting ready for church. And I said, dad, I don't know what to do. And he said, where are you? And I told him, he said, yeah, I know where you are. You just sit tight. And I'll be there. Probably a half hour because he was already dressed to go to church. And here comes that old Plymouth chugging up the road. He never got over 50 miles an hour in his life chugging up the road and he said now you take the car and go on to church and I'll take care of this now that probably happened two or three times as I, when I growing up and after we got married and so on and so forth when we needed help and I've often dreamed when I take my last breath and that could be pretty soon when I take my last breath, even, even my, my doctor sitting back there says he's going to keep me going until I'm 95, preaching. And I was look, I was hoping he'd say 100, but he cut me out of five years. And because if my health is good, I'll be standing up here every once in a while until I die. Because you don't retire from the ministry of Christ, just like you don't retire from being a Christian. But I've often dreamed that when I take that last breath, I can actually get excited about the possibility of that old guy standing there and saying, yeah, I'm here again. Let me show you around. Can you imagine? Can you just imagine for a moment? of how glorious and joyful that reunion would be for those moments and then to travel around in God's own kingdom. We have an inheritance, you see, that blows the mind and the imagination of people who are, who are more concerned about the flesh than the spirit. But when he not only, <coughs> excuse me, he not only has revealed himself in this way, but he now says to us, and this is what I'm trying to get across to you, if you'll do what he asks you to do, that transition from here to there will be easy. 
And when you get there, you don't have to make many changes. Why? Because he said, here's what I want you to do now. Now, while you're here. I want you to make the pledge to be an imitator of God. You say, well, where's that in Scripture? You know, I, I get that every once in a while from our scriptural retards. But when you look at the Scripture, <clears throat> here's what it says. Verse 1, chapter 5, book of Ephesians. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly beloved children. And live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So what he's saying is, if we become imitators of God, Ephesians 5, 1 said, by being loving, you go to the sixth chapter of Luke, he says at verse 36, I want you to be merciful in your treatment of each other. Allow for the, for the weakness of the flesh you remember what he said to Peter? You know, the flesh is weak. That's why you have to rely on the spiritual things. And there in Ephesians 4, 3, he says, Be kind and, and, uh, and tender-hearted in your relationship with each other. In Philippians 2, 15, he says, Be blameless and pure. Why? Because God is pure. Be holy, because God is holy, and that's what he's saying here. Be different. Be different. Quit letting people be the primary influence on the way you dress and the way you live and so on and so forth. You know, I, I was up at that conference up there in Columbus, and you would be surprised at the number of, of preachers who have whiskers that they're so proud of because it's a fad. Got tattoos here, there, and everywhere. Why? Because it's a fad. But the scripture says, you won't go to hell for that, but you look like you belong there. What he's really saying is simply this. I want you to do those things and commit to do those things that when you transition to the kingdom of God and you lay aside the flesh, that you will just be joyful and comfortable there. And that's what he's trying to do. God has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ so that we can learn from him what it's like to live in the kingdom of God and we're to start now. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done right here and now. We've got to raise the bar from just going to church and being good people to making the commitment, I am going to imitate to what I know about God and make that a part of my life. And then you will know when the Spirit of God speaks to your spirit and the things that are hidden from the world become known to you and you will have, as a result of that, total confidence that God is in my life. And to die is gain. Okay. I'm ready to quit, are you?
If not, just put some more money in the bucket. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much that you've gone to an extreme to make it clear to us how to live in spirit and in truth. And God, give us the strength and the courage not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that the things of our mind are the things of the Spirit and that we can become living letters read of men so they can know who you are and where to find you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're free to go. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.